How's it going, Rock Church? It is an honor, yes. It's an honor to be here with you guys. Uh, we are on the fifth week of a series called Next Steps, where we're going through the two letters written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica. And before we continue with this, I want to look at the camera, and I want to welcome our Old Town Campus. Can we give it up for the Old Town Campus? We love you guys. We are one church in two locations, and together we're reaching the state of Maine. So what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up 1 Thessalonians uh, today, and then next week we're going to move on. Yeah, I heard y'all laugh at that. Next week we are going to, uh, we're going to move on into 2 Thessalonians. Um, so 1 Thessalonians, we call this next step because the thesis for this series has been this idea that no matter how long we've been following Christ, whether it just started this morning, you woke up and made a decision to follow Christ, or it was years ago that you made the decision to follow Christ, the thesis that we have behind this whole series is that all of us, we all have a next step in following Christ. We all have it. Again, no matter where you are in the spectrum, we all can take another step. I like to think of it that in life, I'm either getting better or worse, but I'm not staying where I am. So I want to make sure that I'm taking steps forward in my walk with God rather than going backwards in that walk with God. And so maybe, maybe for you, as, as we've been going through this series, maybe for you the step is, is something, something tangible, something that you can actually see, like maybe it's getting water baptized. Like as a church at both of our campuses, we had eight people get water baptized last Sunday and make a public confession of faith. Yeah, it's exciting. Um, seeing people come out and say, God is changing my heart, and I want to I go public with this faith. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's starting a, a daily routine of reading your Bible or, or praying, which if that is you, and you, you're trying to work that habit into your life, uh, we would love to partner with you um, as, you're, as you're making that decision. We could give you a Bible if you need a Bible, uh, give you some tips on how to read through Scripture. We could give you a prayer journal. But maybe that's, maybe that's your next step, is starting that daily commitment of checking in with Christ. Um, maybe, maybe it's more of an of a internal next step that you have. Maybe it's like, I need to let go of that hurt from the past. I need to let go of that scar from the past. Or, or maybe it's like we learned last week, Pastor Kirk taught us that uh, I, need to, I need to make this internal commitment to live with sexual purity. Whether it's external or internal, we can all agree we have a next step in our walk with Christ. And that's actually why we picked the books of First uh, and Second Thessalonians. They're, they're letters written by Paul. And they were written to a church that wasn't sure what their next steps were because Paul had to leave the scene, like we've learned through the series. He had to leave the scene relatively quickly with the start of this church. And so he didn't get a chance to, to, to teach them or to show them some practical next steps. And so in this letter, we see Paul showing us these steps, like modeling how do you respond to criticism, right? Um, maybe saying, hey, this is what a good spiritual or really just any parent would look like. Or this is sexual purity. This is, what you, this is a good next step for you, is making this commitment. And we see Paul making these, making these proclamations and teaching this next steps, and Pastor Brian was going to bring this message tonight uh, because at the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5, we see Paul go into this idea where he addresses the second coming of Christ. He, he talks about the resurrection and gives some practical, how do we live knowing about the resurrection? 
And Pastor Brian was really excited for that, except he had a crazy week this week in that his daughter gave birth to his 11th grandchild. I'd like to show you guys this picture. Can we throw that up here? You got that picture? There it is right there. So it's Pastor Brian and I, Raphael, I don't know. I'm sorry, Pastor Brian, when you watch this. I don't even, I'm not, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But it's Raphael, right? Which was the red ninja turtle. I do know that. So, but this is Pastor Brian, got a lovely grandchild, grandson. Uh, so make sure you congratulate him uh, next time you guys see him. And I know he was really excited to bring you guys the message on Christ's second coming. And so what we're going to try to do is re-stick that in the schedule somewhere this fall so that he can just bring you guys a one-part series on the second coming of Christ. Uh, what I would like to do is jump all the way to the end, jump past that passage about the second coming, all the way to the end of chapter 5. And Paul wraps up his letter, his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. He wraps it up um, by addressing something that I think we all can identify with, uh, something that we all have asked at some point in time. And he does it in eight verses. He kind of sets up this argument, goes all the way through it, and he wraps it up with this line. And I actually want to start the message at the end, at that, that sentence right there. And then we're going to build back and see what his argument that he builds is. So this is First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul wraps up this whole idea and he says, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God's will. This is God's will. I've had a lot of discussions. I've asked a lot of questions over the years. And I've had a lot of questions asked to me over the years. And a lot of them deal with this idea of what is God's will? Like in this situation I'm facing, like should I really ask her to marry me? What's God's will? Or, or should, I, should I go to that college or that college? What's God's will? Or, or should I buy that house? Should I accept that job offer? Should I even try for that job? Like, God, what should I adopt? I mean, it so many questions. And in all these questions, we come forward and we say, God, what, what is your will in this situation? Like, I need some guidance in this situation. What is God's will? And you know, when it comes to, when it comes to asking God's will, like seeking for God's will in a situation, I think it, it kind of can be broken apart into two questions. The first question, and actually if you're taking notes, uh, you can go on and get your worship guide and pull it out, and you can see the two questions. You can, you can look ahead. I give you permission to cheat, right? You'll see the two questions that we're going to address tonight. The first question, whenever it comes to what is God's will, is how do I actually find it? Like, I'm in the midst of this situation, or I'm on the precipice, and I got to decide. That's a big word. Y'all proud of me? Precipice? Don't ask me to spell it, but I can say it, right? But I'm on this precipice, and I'm thinking, God, I've got this decision. What's your will? And the question is, God, how do I find your will in this? Like, what do you need me to do? What do you want me to do in this situation? I remember when Ruth and I moved to Maine. Um, for those of you guys that don't know me, I'm a southern boy. I was raised in Baton Rouge, college in Tennessee, which is where I met my wife, uh, Ruth. And she wasn't my wife when I met her, though. That would have been, that would be a whole nother sermon, right? Um, but I, I met Ruth. We ended up getting married, and she's a Maine girl. God used that to, to get me to Maine. But I remember when we first moved to Maine, it was 2010. Uh, we moved into her, her mom's double-wide trailer in Medway, Maine, 
which was a huge blessing because she was literally the only person we knew in Maine. And so it was a blessing to have a place to stay as we kind of acclimated. It took this southern boy a while to acclimate to the winters. Um, But so we lived with, get this, we lived with her mom in a double wide trailer. So I'm going to run through this. You ready? It was her mom, her stepdad, her sister, her sister's little girl, Ruth, me, our oldest son, Isaac, and our newborn baby boy, Gideon. There's eight of us crammed into a double wide trailer. Man, if there is something that will cause you to question God's will in a situation, it is living with your mother-in-law in the middle of nowhere, also known as Medway, Maine, for a year. Okay, But it was a blessing. Don't get me wrong, okay? But anyway, so I remember we stayed there for a year, and it was now 2011, the summer of 2011, and I had a teaching contract up in Danforth, Maine, and that contract was up. And so Ruth and I were like, what are, we, what are we supposed to do? We really felt like God told us to move to Maine. We were already attending this church. We were traveling 65 miles every Sunday, one way to come to church. And um, so we really felt like God was saying, hey, uh, we, should, we need to be in Bangor. That's, that's what we need because we want to invest in this church. And so we want to move into this community. And so I remember I met with Pastor Kirk. And I went to Pastor Kirk and I said, hey, this is the situation. And actually I heard, I found out, there were no jobs opening in the Bangor area. So I'm like, my contract there is up. I don't currently have a job. Like my last paycheck is in a month. Um, and there's nothing here. And I just found out that my job in Tennessee held my position. And like they're wanting me to move home to Tennessee. Like what do I need to do? And I remember I met with Pastor Kirk. It was in the brick building. Uh, the office in the brick building used to be downstairs. Um, if you have kids and TRC kids, it was right across in the closet. That was the office. And I remember it was me, Ruth, Pastor Kirk, and Lisa, and I explained the whole situation. And I looked at Pastor Kirk, and I said, so what do, what, what do you think God wants me to do? What's his will in this situation? And I remember Pastor Kirk, he sat back, kind of did like this, like only Pastor Kirk can. And he said, hmm. He goes, it sounds like you need to pray. <laughs> and can I just be honest with you guys? I was mad. <laughs> I'm like, this is my pastor. Just tell me what to do. And I got, it sounds like you need to pray. But you know, 10 years later, getting to know God more, can I tell you that I've discovered that God wants a relationship with me? He doesn't want a relationship through Pastor Kirk to me. He wants a relationship straight to me. And so whenever I hit situations where I'm saying, how do I find God's will? God doesn't, he doesn't want to tell me via Kirk Winters. He wants to say, hey, Jay, let's get alone and we'll wrestle with this together. And let me be your God, not Pastor Kirk's God. Let me ask you, when, you're, when you find yourself asking this question, God wants a relationship with you. He wants to guide you through that. And he doesn't want to do it through me. He wants to do it in you. So here's what I've discovered over the years. When it comes to asking, how do I find your will in this situation? I've, I've, I've discovered three questions that really help me hone in on discovering God's will. And I'm going to walk through these really quick. The first question that I ask myself is, has God already told me? Like, am I asking a question that he says, Jay, I've already answered that? Where? <laughs> That's got some Southern in it right there, praise God. <laughs> right here, right? 
This is not just a book. This is God's personal text message to me. This is God's letter to you. And so many times I've discovered over the years, especially in meeting with people, that the questions that they're saying, why won't God answer this issue? He already has. That's why it's crucial to have this daily time where I'm checking in with God. To have this daily rhythm in life where I, like we talked about, this daily rhythm where I am getting alone with God. Has he already told me his will for this situation? I love Psalms 119. It puts it out very plainly. It says, God, your word is a lamp. Like your word guides my feet. It shows me where I'm standing here. I don't know which way to go. Your word is the light that lets me know. Your word is that lamp. The second question that I started asking myself when it comes to finding God's will in these situations is have I prayed about it? Have I prayed about it? Like, like have I really prayed about it? You know, I think sometimes we confuse talking to God about the issue with talking with God about the issue. You see, if prayer, prayer is a conversation with your creator. And if prayer is a conversation with your creator, how many of our conversations with God are one-sided? Like how many times do I throw up that prayer on the way out the door to the job interview and think, check the box. And God's like, (laughs) you didn't give me a word in edgewise. Check this out. Psalms 37 says this. Psalms 37, be still. Just be still. Wait in the presence of the Lord. Psalms 62 Psalm 62, in the Living Translation, it says, I stand silently, and then I wait. Wait. Be still. Wait. You come before him quietly. You say, God, like, intentionally. Let me ask it again. Have I prayed about it? Like, have I set aside time in my day And come before him and said, God, this is it. This is what I know. This is what I don't know. I don't know what to do. And then just waited. And give him a minute to speak. Give him 10 minutes to speak, however long you can, and just wait. See, he's not trying to hide. He wants to know you. Third question I ask myself is, have I fasted about it? Have I fasted about it? That's what I did. Pastor Kirk says, sounds like you need to pray. (laughs) I had two choices. Punch him in the face. No, I'm kidding. But that's what I did. So Ruth and I went back to Medway, Maine. Uh, She took the kids back to the double wide with Nana. I got a, we drive by it all the time. And I, it's the, the gateway in. If you've ever gotten off on exit 244, the gateway in. That's where God came through on me. And we got a room. It was just me. As I said, Ruth took the kids. I went there. I shut the door. I locked the door. I had my Bible because has he already answered this question? I brought some worship music because I can't tell you how much. I I feel like I say it all the time. Worship shifts your focus from what you're focused on to what you should focus on. And so I brought some worship music and that was about it. I brought my journal. I could actually, I should have brought the journal. I could show it to you. I, I wrote three questions down in that room with the door locked, me and God. I said, God, I need to know this, this, and this. And then I asked And then I waited for 24 hours. That's how long I had the room because I couldn't afford two nights. So I waited and I fasted. I didn't bring any food with me. You know, fasting is whenever you actually set aside something that your body craves, that your flesh is craving, and you replace it with something that your spirit is craving. Like, I'm not talking like a medical fast where you just don't eat. 
I'm talking a spiritual fast where you intentionally starve your flesh to feed your spirit. So that's what I did. And can I tell you, if I'd have brought the journal, I could show you. Within 24 hours, I had all three of those questions answered. I could tell you that I have never spent time seeking God through his word, truly praying, and then fasting and not found where he's leading. It happens. Those are the three questions. I love Jesus when he talks about fasting, because this should be like a rhythm in life. I'm going to starve my flesh to intentionally feed my spirit. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about fasting, and he says, listen, when you fast, what does that imply? You're going to. As a church, we actually intentionally set aside time to fast as a church. In every January, we set aside 21 days, and we say, as a church, we're going to pray, and we're going to fast. Do you want to know why? You want to know what the heart is behind 21 days of prayer and fasting in January? It's to find God's will for our church for the next year. Have I, have I, has God already answered it? Have I really prayed about it? Have I, have I fasted about it? So that's what I did. And, I, and you would say, well, Jay, so what happened? Like, did the hotel room open up and angels descended upon you? Yes, that's actually what happened. It was crazy. No, I'm kidding. Now, here's what I would say. This is what I've discovered. God speaks. He's spoken to me many different ways. But nine times out of ten, the way that God leads me is by peace. Not by answers. By peace. So even when I'm not sure, I'm like, okay, this is where I feel that peace that passes understanding is leading me into. And so that's where I did. And you know, this is what I know. Our God is more gracious than we give him credit for. And if I miss that peace and I step into something incorrectly... It's not like he's like, oh, that's it. You're done. No, I'm going to step into that. But here's the thing. And this is where Paul, we're going to get back into his letter. Because once I find God's will, that's one thing. But following God's will, that's a whole nother ballgame. How do I follow God's will? Because let me ask you a question. What happens if you find it and it's not what you wanted it to be? Or what happens if you find it and it takes longer than you think it should? You with me? So finding God's will is crucial. But following God's will, that's where you play the real game. And Paul gives us six heart checks, kind of like fence posts, where once you find God's will, you can run these fence posts on your heart. Like, just check your heart to make sure they kind of are guiding you to make sure that you're staying within God's will. So we're going to go through these. And it actually, he picks it up in verse 12 of how do I follow God's will? Verse 12 shows us that first fence post, that first heart check that we can use to follow God's will. He says, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, uh, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. He says, hold them in the highest regard, in love, because of their work. The first thing, the first heart check that I should run on myself, almost daily, to make sure that I'm following God's will, is I will honor my leaders. I will honor those leaders that have been placed over me. See, honor is something that God takes very personally. Honor is something that... that And remember, Paul's not saying this so that they'll honor Paul. Because Paul is actually writing this letter, and he refers to them. You saw it in that verse. He refers to them as brothers, like companions. He actually calls them brothers and sisters in Christ. He says that 15 times in five five chapters. Like, he's, he's not saying it so that they'll honor him. 
No, Paul is writing this because he realizes, he knows the danger of dishonor. Because he knows the history of the children of Israel. And he knows that the children of Israel had a strong history of rebellion and dishonor against their leadership. And he knows that not only is that dangerous, but it actually kept them out of following God's will. So God takes honor very seriously. Honoring, in fact, um, Peter says this. Peter, who had to learn to follow his leader. Think about Peter. He gets to Jesus and he says, Jesus, that's not the way this should happen. What did, Pe- what did Jesus say to Peter? He said, get behind me. You need to learn to follow me. Follow. I will honor you as my leader. And then he called him Satan, which is just kind of funny, right? But he says, get behind me. Honor me as your leader. And Peter says this because he's learned this lesson. He says in chapter 2, verse 17 of 1 Peter, he says, honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. See, when it comes down to it, dishonor, like dishonoring someone, is not an external issue. Dishonor is a heart issue. Because once I see, see, I don't, I don't honor you because of what you've done. I don't honor the, the leader of this nation because of what he has done. I don't honor the leader of this state because of what she has done. I honor someone because of the value that my God placed on them. Do you know what that value was? The life of Jesus Christ. So I see honor is not earned. It's something that I give. It's not something you earn. And so dishonor is a heart issue because once I realize the price that was paid for that individual, mm, like honor is a byproduct. It comes out of that heart. So let me just challenge you. Before you start using your words to blast your leader whenever they make, make a mistake, and notice I said when, not if, because they will. And so... Like, I can settle it in my heart now that when they do it, I will honor them. And before I start blasting them with my words, nine times out of ten, probably behind their back, let me back away from that situation and say, you know, God died for this individual. So who am I to dishonor that? I will honor. I will, because you know what? And either way, honor is a surefire way for me to miss the will of God. Like dishonoring someone or honoring, it's a surefire way. So I will honor my leaders. The second one, he goes on to say, I will be others focused. I will be others focused. Look, go on to that next verse, verse 14. He lays it out pretty clearly. Remember, this is Paul writing to his friends. Be others focused. Make sure you don't miss the will of God. Be others focused. He says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage those who are disheartened. Help those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. I need to be others focused. You see, here's the danger. Here's the danger in saying, God, what is your will for me? Like, God, what's your will for my life? What's your will for me in this situation? Do you, do you see what the danger is in all of that? Me. Like, God, what's your will? I become consumed with his will for me. I, I can get so consumed in finding the will of God for me that I can lose the heart of the God whose will I'm trying to find. You, did you follow me on that? I can be, so, I, I get so consumed in like myself that I lose, listen to the heart of Jesus Christ. So Jesus hung, hangs on the cross, 
pays the price for all of our sins, comes back from the grave, and I love this because I like food. And so he meets with his disciples and they have breakfast. I'm like, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Not only does he have breakfast, it's seafood. Come on, somebody, seafood for breakfast. And after breakfast, he's sitting there, he's talking to Peter. Peter, who he just said, honor everyone. And listen to what he says to Peter, John chapter 21. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, he says, look, do you love me? Do you love me more than all these other people that are around here? Do you really love me? And Peter looks at him and he says, you know I'm your friend. Like, it's you and me. We've been together through thick and thin. And what does Jesus say? Take care of my people. Take care of my people. Like, do you really love me? Because my heart is taking care of all these people. Like, do you really? And then he goes on. He, he doesn't leave it at just one. And then Jesus repeats the question. Simon, do you really love me? And then P- Peter looks at him. And he says, God, you know, you and me are tight, right? And Jesus looks at him. He says, then take care of my people. Like he's, he's trying to say, listen to me. This is my heart. This, I came to serve, not be served. Do you really love me? And he asks it a third time. So once more, he looks at him, because Peter's saying, Jesus, you know we're friends. It's you and me. And so Jesus looks at him, he says, Simon, are you really my friend? Peter's like, why would you even ask that? Why? What does Jesus say? He doesn't say, write me a song, although I love worship music. He doesn't say memorize the Bible, although that is crucial. Take care of my people. See, in the midst of saying, God, what's your will for me? God is saying, will you take care of my people? In the midst of saying, God, God, these are my gifts. These are my skills. This is my desire and my ability. I want to use it for you. What's your will in this? God is saying, will you take care of my people? And it's simple. I love how the Living Bible translates Paul's words back in 1 Thessalonians. It says, listen, just warn the people that you see being lazy. Like, don't shy away from calling people out to get, help them get better. He says, comfort those people that need to be comforted. Just take care of them. He says, look, use tender care with people that you notice are weak. Don't lord over them. Oh, you struggle with that. <sighs> no. He says, be patient. Like, will you take care of my people? Will you be others-focused? Will you be others-focused? And then the next verse, Paul continues to say this. He says, make sure, go to the next one, thank you. He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good. See, the next one can be tricky. Did that get in the mic? Did you guys get that in Old Town? No? Okay, good. All right. The next one can be tricky. Because the next one, you hold it close to the chest. But if I want to follow God's will, I will forgive my enemies. I will let it go. I will let it go. You know that unforgiveness, it, it may not make sense, but unforgiveness hurts you more than the other person. Like, and I love, I love what Paul said. Can you go to that verse again? He says, make sure, I'll no, go to the next one. I will forgive my enemies. Give me that next line with the dots. It's coming. Technical difficulties. Old Town, how you guys doing? Is the weather good? One more slide. One more slide. There it is. He says, make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. See, he's not minimizing what happened. 
He's not saying it's okay. He's saying it's wrong. But he's saying let it go because it's hurting you more than it's hurting them. And unforgiveness will keep you from the will of God. Like it will prevent you from following the will of God. It reminds me of old Boudreaux. So Boudreaux, his, his wife Marie walks into the room and she sees old Boudreaux taping dynamite to his chest underneath his t-shirt. She looks at him. She says, Boudreaux, she said, what in the world are you doing? And Boudreaux looks at his wife. He gives her a sly grin. He says, this here dynamite? He says, he's for Thibodeau. He, and he pulls the shirt over it to hide it. He says, Thibodeau, that boy punches me every time I see him. And I, I don't, I don't, I'm not ready for it. He says, so next time he punches me, I'm going to blow his hand clean off. <laughs> you guys get it, right? Holding unforgiveness. Listen, holding that unforgiveness. I know it hurt. I know it was wrong. But it, it will hurt you more than it will hurt them. Listen, Colossians 3.13. This is Paul. Make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. You know, sometimes they might not even know they did something that offended you. Forgive anyone that offends you. And then he says, this is the kicker. You have been forgiven. So you have to forgive. Like when I realize how much he has given me, I have no right to hold it against them. I will forgive. I will forgive. The next one. I will choose joy. And let me tell you, sometimes it is a choice. I will choose joy. I love how simple Paul makes this in the next verse, verse 16. He says, listen, rejoice always. Bam, there you go. It's that simple. Like, choose joy in the midst of whatever the circumstance is. Like, I I have this pastor. Actually, he was my pastor growing up uh, from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. His name's Larry Stockstill. He says, joy is a perspective. It's not a feeling. Joy is a perspective not a feeling. It is a saying, you know what? Regardless of this circumstance, regardless of what I find, I will choose joy in this situation. I love Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. He says, whatever happens. You want to know why he can say that? Well, Paul, you don't know what I'm going through right now. You just have no idea. You know, actually, Paul was in prison when he wrote this. <laughs> you want to know why he was in prison? Because he was a Christian. That was the only charge. Whatever happens, he says, I will rejoice. In any situation, at any time, I will choose joy. And I'm not talking like fake. I'm not talking like, oh, you know, everything's fine and dandy. No, in the midst of not fine, in the midst of prison, I will say, regardless of what happens, I have a source for joy. Psalms 103 says, praise the Lord, I tell myself. In my home, our word for the year uh, is joy. I don't know if you guys pick a word for the year, but I was praying actually during 21 days of prayer and fasting and it felt like God said, your family's word for the year is joy. And so we have a family meeting. We try to have it every week. So I teach, I've been teaching my kids about joy. Ruth and I have been kind of tag teaming it and teaching them about joy. And one of the little, you know, punchlines that we taught them was, hey, listen, my attitude is my choice. My attitude is my choice. I will tell myself, right? And so uh, we were actually coming to church one day might have been running late, might have been driving me crazy, and I might have not chosen joy in that particular instance, right? I yelled at them. I'm sorry. And so we get out to the van. You know, I'm like, just get in the car. We need to praise God, right? And so we get in the car, <laughs> and everybody's buckling up, and I sit down. We live like a mile down the road, so I'm like, oh, I got to make this right in like a mile. 
So I'm about to back out of the driveway and I look at my kids and I'm like, listen, daddy was not right. Like that was not an honorable way for me to talk to you. I'm very sorry that I yelled at you. And my little girl, Abigail, who is six, looks at me. She sits, we have a, a minivan. I call it the man van, right? And she sits, <laughs> she sits right here, right here. And so I look at all, all four of our children. I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. And Abigail goes, you know, daddy, my attitude is my choice. Just remember that. It's like, you're right, baby. You're right. I will choose joy. I will tell myself. I will choose joy, right? And the next one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. He goes on, rejoice always, pray continually. Like, don't stop, right? Don't stop praying. And so if I want to make sure that I'm staying in the will of God, I will never stop praying. I will never stop praying. Now, now I'm, not, I'm not saying that I'm going to be the person that at Hannaford, I, um, you know, I keep uh, grabbing the kiwi and I'm like, Lord, this one or this one? No, that's, that's not what Paul's talking about. That's not what Paul's talking about here. See, we've already talked about prayer a little bit, but I want to address this idea of like never stop praying. At our church, we say Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Prayer is that conversation that we use to get to know our Savior, right? So if prayer is the conversation we use to get to know our Savior, then as I get to know him, I don't have to pray all the time for me to have a conversation with him. I mean, Jesus is telling this story, kind of make this clear, and he tells the story, he says, listen, I'm like the shepherd, you guys are like the sheep. And so keep this in mind as we're talking about this concept of prayer. And Jesus says, My sheep, like the people that are following me in John chapter 10, he says, my sheep, throw that next verse up there for me. He says, my sheep recognize my voice. They know my voice. And then he goes on to say, he says, they follow me because they know my voice. So let me make this simple. Me and my wife this year, this July, will have been married for 16 years. And uh, when my wife calls me on the phone, like I do have intentional times where I sit with my wife and we talk. I do have intentional times with God where I sit with him and I talk with him. But if my wife calls me in the middle of a day, I don't need caller ID to know that that's my wife because I know her voice. Like I recognize her voice. And you know what? I can actually tell what's going on sometimes by, by the, the, the timbre of her voice, by what's going on, you know? I've been following God now for almost 20 years. 20 years of checking in with God, intentionally praying, studying the word, getting to know relationship, not religion. When God calls me in the middle of the day, I don't need caller ID to know his voice because I know his voice. That's what Paul's talking about. Get to know your God. Get to know your Savior so that when he calls you and says, hey, um, why don't you call your aunt? She needs you to pray for her. You're like, oh, sweet, okay. Or he says, hey, check in on that, that small group member because they're having a rough week. You're like, oh, okay, I'll hit him up on Facebook, right? Get to know his voice. The last one, as we're wrapping this up. So I find God's will. How do I follow God's will? I'm gonna run these heart checks on myself in the midst of whatever circumstance I find myself in. And the sixth point that Paul makes here is if I wanna make sure that I'm, I'm following the will of God, then I will be thankful in any situation, in any circumstance. I will be thankful. Look what Paul says in verse 18. 
He says, give thanks regardless of the circumstance. Give thanks in everything. Give thanks. You know what giving thanks is? Like this attitude of gratitude. You know what that is? That is a statement of faith that says, my, my position, my situation does not determine, like the situation will not determine the outcome. And I've seen it time and time again where my God is faithful. And so regardless of the situation, I will be thankful in any situation. It's a statement of faith. I think of, of Paul. So maybe some of you guys are sitting here and maybe you find yourself in a circumstance where you think, Jay, I have absolutely nothing to give thanks for. I, I, don't, I, I can't wrap my brain around that. Give thanks. And I think of Paul. In Acts chapter 16, we find Paul, and he's in prison with his friend for no reason at all. Again, because he's a Christian. And he, some of you find yourself in a situation, maybe it's a situation you did bring on yourself. Maybe it's a situation someone else brought on you. And you're just sitting there thinking, Jay, give thanks? Like, yeah, I want to follow God's will, but seriously, in this? And in the midst of Paul finding himself in the middle of a situation that most people would say, where is God's will in this? Paul did not ask questions. Around midnight, Paul and his boys, hashtag, find yourself a small group. Paul and his small group members, right? Paul and his small group members, they weren't complaining. They weren't questioning God. What were they doing? They were talking to God. They were talking with their, so- their father in heaven. And then they started singing hymns. I can almost hear the hymns they were singing. It was probably one of the Psalms. It's probably one of the Psalms that, that he knew because he was raised in this tradition. And so he just starts singing this Psalm. And it says, all the other prisoners are listening. Listen, look, no matter the situation, I will always be praying. Right? He knows that people are listening. But he says, I'm going to let them see what God can do in this situation because I will be others focused. And so he starts singing this psalm. You want to know why thank, being thankful, why this attitude? Like never before have I seen it so easy to judge someone's worth by followers, likes, or comments. Like this false self-esteem. And that, that can quickly bleed over to this attitude of discontentment where we're like, oh, I wish it was like them. And discontentment draws us away from contentment in the provision of our Savior. And so in the midst of this, Paul says, I've still got reason to praise. I've still got reason to praise. And I bet you one of the Psalms, the reason that, the reason that Thanksgiving is so hard, especially in the midst of the situation, and this is for you, if you find yourself in the midst of the situation, you say, Jay, seriously, the reason it's so hard is Psalms 100. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Let me tell you something. Being thankful may not change the situation, but it will change your position. It will move you from where you are into the presence of God. And let me tell you what the Bible says. Come on, we're at the end here and I'm preaching. Listen, what the Bible says is once I'm in the presence of God, that's where I find freedom. Once I'm in the presence of God, that's where I find purpose. Once I'm in the presence of God, that's where I find contentment. You may prove it to you. It's midnight. They start singing and they step from where they are into where they could be. And the presence of God enters that because once I am thankful, I find myself in the presence of the God who spoke and the world was formed. Don't tell me 
Don't tell me I don't have something to be thankful for. And suddenly, Acts 16, 26, suddenly, let me tell you, one minute with God can wreck everything. One minute with God can change it all. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake that shook everybody. It says, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. That thing that is holding you down can be broken. He says, and all the doors immediately flew open. And the prison that I found myself in 20 minutes ago suddenly was no longer a prison. You want to stay in the will of God? I will be thankful regardless of the situations I find myself in. I want to pray for you guys. I want to pray for those of you that are seeking God's will, that you find it. I want to pray for those of you that are questioning God's will, that you resolve yourself to the peace of that situation. Father, we come to you right now. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful. God, I pray for those in here tonight that are looking for you. They are seeking your will, truly seeking your face. God, I thank you that you tell us in your word that if we seek you, we will find you. That if we draw close to you, you will draw close to us. Lord, so I speak that over those people. God, I pray that they would find your will through the peace that surpasses human understanding. Lord, I pray for those that are questioning tonight. God, I pray that these heart checks would run a check on their hearts. And Lord, if there needs to be realignment, let there be realignment. But that we as a church would resolutely say we will follow the will of our God. You know, keep your heads, heads bowed, guys. If you're in here and you think I have never even surrendered to the will of God, I want to give you an opportunity to do that tonight. It is a simple heart decision that says, God, I don't understand it, but I believe it. And I surrender myself to your will. And if that's you tonight, I would challenge you to make that heart decision. I'll lead you in a prayer. And you can say this prayer, but I would challenge you not to just say it, but to pull it out of your heart. You just say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me of my past. Lord, I take my future and I surrender it to you. Don't just be my God. Be my Lord. Don't just be my Lord. Be my Savior. And be my friend. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to hand it back to you, campus host.